This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by VO2GoGo, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO2GoGo.com slash start. Hello and welcome to episode 142 of Inside Acting. My name is Trevor Elgott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And on this podcast we interview actors and directors and writers and casting directors and producers and filmmakers and agents and managers and personal finance gurus and personal fitness gurus and voiceover act artists and aerialists and acting teachers. I mean... God, you name it. Anybody involved with the entertainment industry, and we uh, record those interviews and uh, put them out there on the World Wide Web for you. And of course, uh, we are just two dudes with a podcast, and we started this podcast because we are looking for the answers, not because we have them. So if you have anything you'd like to add, your two cents, a question, a comment, whatever, uh, get in touch with us. We've got emails and voicemails on this episode. Always exciting to hear your voice, and you can find all the ways of getting in touch with us at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. And on today's episode, we have part two of my chat with acting, I'm sorry, actor and acting teacher, David Kagan. And it's just more really great stuff. Make sure you stick around for that. I'm back. You're back. I'm back. How's your, how's your show been going, man? It's been up for a couple weeks now. The show is going well. Uh, yeah, I mean, we open at the uh, end of March, beginning of May, so we're six weeks in. If you include previews, we've been going for ten and a half weeks or something like that, eleven weeks. It's going. It's going. It is. There is an interesting learning curve when it comes to doing eight shows a week I'm, I'm glad i'm getting the experience you know the last time i think i mentioned this on a previous episode but the last time i did eight shows a week was when i did of mice and men and that was a shorter run that was like a six week run or something like that so this has been a definite learning curve but i am enjoying it and I'm also really appreciative of my training. I actually, it's interesting. I had this thought on stage the other night and I thought I really, if I can remember this, I want to share it with our podcast listeners. I feel like in some respects, not all respects, I'm not making a gross generalization here, but I feel like in some respects, talent will often book you the job and technique will allow you to maintain yourself in that job especially applies to theater but i feel like doing eight shows a week that's technique yeah that's technique because it's it's in your body at that point you've made your talent allows you to make the choices and of course to keep it fresh you make different slightly different choices every night or whatever but the technique is what actually protects your voice protects your body protects your craft I don't. I don't know if I'm being clear, but yeah, I, I, yeah. I had that thought like literally on stage, and and I remember thinking, oh, I have to share that on the podcast. That's a really a really good insight. So when you, when you said this has been a, a real learning experience for you, what, what else has been coming up? You know, I think I think it's just there's a bit of a mental game we talk about. We talk about the mental game a lot on the podcast, and it's mostly about being in between jobs or uh, being in the room auditioning or whatever. But there's there's a lot to the mental game of doing eight shows a week and somehow staying rested. Mm-hmm. There's there's a yeah. physical there's a physical game of just taking care of my body and taking care of my voice that also has a lot to do with getting a lot of sleep. 
<laughs> yeah, it must be trippy because you're you, you kind of can't almost can't live a quote unquote normal life even outside of the show. I mean, you've got the show eight eight times a week, but then outside of it, you're kind of like either preparing for a new another show or you're recovering from a show. There's this book that I don't know if I ever mentioned on the podcast before. I should just make it a pick, a pick of the week. I'm, I'm sure you can still get it on on Amazon or something, but it's called called Making It on Broadway, Actors' Tales of Climbing to the Top. And it's not really written by anyone, but th- I had this this uh, TA when I was at UCLA named Jody Langle, and she was on Broadway for a while. She she was in Les Mis and, and stuff, and her and her f- uh, friend basically a- interviewed all these Broadway actors, Broadway performers, including like Cole Wilkinson and Sarah Uribeary and... Antonio Banderas because he was in nine for a while. Yeah. You know, like really famous famous Broadway actors and, and, and some, you know, movie actors who have crossed over. And they just edited, they put all this together in into this book. And I remember reading this book and thinking it just sounded like a bunch of people complaining <laughs> complaining. Because <laughs> even even somebody like Antonio Banderas was like, you know, I don't really have a normal life. I can't go out after the show don't have drinks because alcohol dries out your voice i i i I can i can't really stay up late because i want to have my days to do stuff so i want to get some sleep so i go i go home i go right to bed i sleep i sleep in i wake up i do x y and z chores or run errands or whatever and then i go and do the show again i think in some ways there was a lot of complaining going on in in the book and i don't want to name names you should if you're interested in doing theater in new york you should pick this book up but i will say this it is not as bad as those people made it out to be if you have a decent place to live you're comfortable you surround yourself good people you eat right you sleep all of that it's actually a pretty chill life I know we're not making as much money as somebody who, you know, goes on set once a month and does like a guest star role or what have you, but it's, it's, it's very fulfilling and, 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 and I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying being in a musical in New York. Yeah. That's pretty good. That's that's the end of that sentence. (laughs) Really the end of that (laughs) thought. I can't really. Well, it's what I'm hearing is that it's it's almost like your secret weapon is just to have a routine and make a, a core part of that routine just making yourself strong and taking care of yourself. Yeah, I would say that there's yeah there's two things. Routine is definitely one. I will I will I will add on to routine getting out of getting out of routine. I I don't know how to say it. Basically, like giving myself you're giving yourself mini vacations. In other words, going to like today we we're, we're thinking about going to Brooklyn and walking across the Brooklyn Bridge, going to Central Park, taking the train to Washington D.C. I talked about before when I made Amtrak my pick of the week, doing things that allow you to decompress is really key. Yeah, I feel like little mental mental breaks, vaca- mini vacations staycations <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's really important you know we talked about this before but uh you know that book the power of full engagement they talk about uh building like purposely and intentionally building in little periods of recovery and playtime into your day so that you can kind of stay balanced and that you don't burn out and that you have enough energy to push through because they find that the brain works in these cycles of like you can do focused effort for a while but then you've got to kind of reward it with some play or some leisure time and so I think building that stuff into your day and your life is just as important as the work. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Another thing that I heard you say that I wanted to kind of comment on was, you know, you said the the book, there's kind of a, a, a victim-y tone to some of the uh, stories. Mm, mm-hmm. And um, I, what I heard you say was that, you know, like, I've just realized that I'm in a show on basically, basically on Broadway. And that's pretty kick-ass. And, uh, you know, I think just coming from a place of gratitude about it is huge. And, and speaking of routines, 
one thing that I've been doing is I've really recommitted to my morning pages. So every morning I'm writing three pages, you know, longhand, by hand, on like pen on paper. Um, just kind of, you know, brain vomiting basically. But I'm finding more and more that gratitude is taking a, a kind of forefront kind of spot in those pages. And I look forward to it now. And I spend at least one of those pages just listing all the things that I'm so thankful for. And I realize how kick-ass my life is. And everything shifts. It's like the universe shifted the moment I started making that a focus. And we've actually talked about this very point on the podcast before. Because there was... um, It may have even been a pick of the week that one of us picked. But there was that TED Talk. I can't remember who it was. But this guy talked about using gratitude as a way to change not only your attitude but the results that you get in your life and and he had the, he had these very basic practices and one of them was uh writing down i think it was before you go to bed like writing down the three things that you're grateful for from that day or something like that yeah, it's very sim- yeah. it's very similar to what you were just what you were just saying yeah. and it completely changed he, he had all these statistics but it completely changed people's attitudes and, and they were able to generate increased results in their life it was amazing what what just just being in relationship with what you're grateful for did for for people yeah so i'm 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 right there with you. I'm right there with you. I don't know. Maybe reading this book would actually make you grateful that you're not dealing with the things that they're complaining about. I, I don't know. But yeah. uh, I just I just did a quick, before we move on, since we're talking about it so much, I just did a quick Google search for it. Not only is the book still available in uh, paperback or on Kindle. Actually, gosh, if you want the Kindle version, it's $3.50. Also, there is a website, makingonbroadway.net, and it looks like Jody, my friend from college, is actually using the brand to continue to support uh, students and help people get get their careers started. And she brings in guest artists and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's oh, pretty cool. cool. Fun to that's catch right up on. with what people are up. What's yeah. the book? What's the book called? It's called Making It on Broadway, Actors' Tales of Climbing to the Top. And I guess you'll be able to look for the link in our show notes. Sweet. <laughs> Making It on Broadway. Okay. So uh, any any news on the uh, web series front or the donor front or the yeah. pictures front or <laughs> the, what is it called, Midnight Monster front? I, like. It's, you have so many irons in the fire that I, I want to hear what's uh, what's going on on the left coast. Yeah, um, I mean, let's see. Uh, donor, I'm, I'm still kind of fleshing that out. I'm 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 feeding it through Dramatica Story Expert, which, as you know, but our listeners probably don't, is uh, a great piece of software that's built on. I think I've talked about it. I talked about Writer's Dream Kit, but maybe not Dramatica, which is like the pro version of Writer's Dream Kit. But it's this piece of software that that is built on these principles of storytelling that are that are um kind of i guess present or that are or it's a structure that's that's that like 70 plus oscar winning screenplays are built on and it's a theory of storytelling that's that's kind of one part joseph campbell one part you know uh character archetypes and anyway it's a really brilliant piece of software and all it does is ask you questions and i've been just kind of you know fleshing out my ideas about this and thing and feeding it through that um, so that's been kind of fun to kind of get that all to just percolate and uh, flesh out a bit. Midnight Monster is, uh, I haven't heard anything on that front. I should get in touch with those guys and see what's see what's new. But uh, no, man, I'm just kind of spending the, my time just kind of like taking care of business. I got a, a meeting, a big, really big meeting I'm excited about later today. Yeah. And um, it was actually... Can you say what it's for? Or, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, for, it's for Mad Men. Um, so oh I'm, I'm yeah! Excited it is. to go into that office, and it's and uh, yeah, it is. my agent called me last night, and he said, uh, you know, thanks for sending me the new photos with your hair and the beard and everything. And he said, this is the first submission I've, I, this is the first time I've submitted you with this photo. He's like, and we got a bite right away, and they want to see you tomorrow. What? So what? Yeah, that's amazing. That is such okay. That is such a. I mean, especially since we just talked about the pictures a few episodes ago, and talking about capturing who you are at least in, in this moment with this look what a what an amazing piece of feedback for you like yeah. it gets sent out and boom 
Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It was pretty cool. And it, it, the best part is, is it just feels, for the first time, I think, in a long time, it just feels like I'm just being me. I'm just being, like, true to what feels authentic in the moment. And, uh, you know, if tomorrow I feel like shaving my head, then fuck it. I'm going to shave my head. Like, I'm not, I'm not attached to, I'm I'm not attached to pleasing people in the industry or anything like that. I mean, of course, if I book a job and they want me to keep the hair, I'll keep the hair. But like that, that kind of mentality I think is, is, is pretty powerful and I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just kind of speaking in, in generalities, you know, but I think, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence. Certainly not. I, congratulations, man. That is, that is super exciting. Thanks, dude. Super Thanks. exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. Well, book the shit out of that. <laughs> okay, so we've got uh, an email question as well as a voicemail kind of question from uh from some listeners and the first one we wanted to respond to is katie's email uh she writes in from chicago and um has some nice things to say but she also says um she has a question that she wanted to get our take on and it's her being at a callback not too long ago for a small storefront theater company in chicago so i'm thinking one of those kind of tiny things that are maybe like above a petco or something probably a 99 seat deal uh she says the callback was scheduled for five hours but that she didn't anticipate they'd be using her the whole time. She read once when she got there, but then she was asked to wait around for almost three hours. By the way, if this was a union gig, she would have been paid to wait around that long. Then she says it became clear that there was no schedule for the callbacks, and the director and playwright were basically just calling people in at random. And after three hours, she just wasn't reading or being asked to look at anything. She was just kind of sitting there. Um, She basically told the director she had to leave, that director went to go talk to the playwright who confirmed they could let her go. But then she says the playwright, I guess, accused her of shooting daggers at him with her eyes, which is interesting. And then she says she didn't really say anything, but just picked up her stuff and left. And then she asks us basically uh, what our take on this is. She says uh, she knows that even if she was out of running for the gig, she could have built a relationship with these guys. But frankly, after all the disorganization and how frustrating it was for her and the way the director and playwright spoke to her, she doesn't really have an interest in working with them. So kind of what are our, what are our thoughts? Uh, and first of all, Katie, thank you so much for writing in with this. I think it's a great question. I mean, I'm going to say right off the bat, I, yeah, I think she did the right thing, and I think she might have dodged a bullet if uh, that was the way they reacted to her saying that she just had to bounce after three hours of waiting. Uh, I mean, like you said, AJ, before we started recording this section, she kind of answered her own question. and uh, Yeah, Katie, you basically answered your own question right there in the email uh you know, with these people being so disorganized and the experience being frustrating and the way the director spoke to you, like right there in the email, I really don't have any interest in working with them again. I have actually, it's interesting. I've actually been to a play. I saw a, an adaptation of Antigone in a storefront theater in Chicago. And it was, it wasn't bad. It was kind of interesting to me, the fact that there was this type of theater going on in in Chicago like it's literally in a storefront like what you were just saying Trev like Petco and then a theater and then another you know retail environment you walk in this little storefront in a strip mall or something and it's a theater instead of a you know uh, like a pet store it's it's really fascinating yeah. so but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's that it's bad the, yeah, the production. I, I think those things are really cool to be honest i love that kind of funky little artist thing that's happening there it just brings theater to every corner and brings art to every corner which i'm i'm never opposed to and and that being said i don't know the chicago market that well so i don't know what kind of exposure you get for doing those kinds of things whether it's going to lead to other jobs other gigs i I hope that after trevor and i have answered similar questions to this over time people are starting to get the idea that we want our listeners to 
at the end of the day, just be respected, not just as an artist, but as a person, as like a human being. Like if you went to the emergency room and you were bleeding and they said, no, sit there for three hours or five hours. And you said, okay, I I can't do that because I have a life and also I'm bleeding. (laughs) I have a life and also I'm bleeding. I'm going to go to another emergency room. And then they like copped an attitude with you. You, you, No one would ever stand for that ever. You know, we were having, uh, we were having a conversation backstage thing in the dressing room, like a few days ago. And the subject of, uh, of striking came up. We started talking about like the writer strike in in LA years ago. And we realized that the, the younger actors realize this because the older actors are just kind of used to it. The younger actors realize that, the actors in, say, Equity or sag After or whatever, they've never really struck. There's never really been a, an actor's strike. And that's, I think, because actors are so hungry all, all the time. And mm. there's so many of this, so many of them. There are fewer writers. There are fewer directors. There are fewer people on that side of things. So it's sort of easier to band together. But for actors, it's like, if okay, if, if, if half of us wanted to strike there'd still be another million people ready to sort of take those jobs yeah and i think the hunger gets confused with a sort of lowered sense of self Hmm. a a lowered sense of what's right a lowered sense of self-respect and you're a human you're katie and anyone listening to this like you're a human being first be, be a human being and know that when you go in it's like what five hours no i wouldn't sit and not get paid to do anything for five hours unless it was getting a massage and even then <laughs> a five-hour massage would probably lead to some really sore muscles and you probably shouldn't do that i, I just can't imagine a situation where where I'd w- i would sit around and, and wait for that long unless it was a big job some feature film or or series regular thing and they were calling you in the room over and over and over again because they wanted to test you with different people it was like a, yeah. it was like a chemistry read or something like that yeah other than that i just i just it really it really grinds my gears yeah <laughs> I, I know i would say that there are two things that kind of come up really quickly for me number one is i think it's so important to have other things kind of going on so that a, a situation like this becomes like a clear waste of time and i'm not saying katie doesn't have things going on Uh, i feel like i should speak directly to her katie i don't think i'm not insinuating that you don't have things going on but it makes it makes situations like this that much more easy to just kind of shrug off and be like okay well whatever next um Mm -hmm. yeah so so i think that's important and not even necessarily just with your career like i mean maybe you've got like a you know i don't know a garden that you're tending to at home or maybe you're you're working on um I don't know. Uh, uh, I, I'm drawing blanks, of course, right now. But like something else in your life that just makes stuff like this really trivial, uh, and so you don't feel like you're losing out if you walk away from something like this. And, and it, I don't get the sense that that Katie, you do feel like you're losing out by walking away from this. So, so props to you. Uh, and then number two, I really love the part where she says they accused her of shooting daggers at them with her eyes and that she said she didn't really say anything she just picked up her stuff and left and i think that's really important that she didn't let her again i'm speaking her third person katie i think it's really i think it's really great that she didn't let yourself get sucked into what they they may have been doing which was trying to provoke you whether they were aware of it or not um i mean if they said something like that on some level they were probably trying to pick a fight and find a, a reason to write you off completely or make you wrong or make you the, the bad guy of some kind. And the fact that you just kind of kept your respect, kept your presence, kept your integrity and just kind of said, okay, not my thing. And then you walked away. I think is really powerful because I think a, a lesser person would have probably felt insulted or felt or took it personally and, and made it about them and tried to argue or pick a fight or, or, you know, say something along the lines of like, you can't disrespect me like that, you know, and that never gets any of us anywhere. So the fact that you held your power and just said, cool, you know, like whatever, that's your thing. I'm out of here. I think that's a, a really big takeaway here. So, um, K 
Katie, thank you so much for writing in with this. This is this actually turned into a, a much deeper discussion than I think either of us, uh, AJ, you were right, predicted it would. And uh, I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk about this kind of stuff because this happens a lot. And I don't think we do talk about it very much, not on the show necessarily, but just in general. And I, I love your acknowledgement of her uh, keeping her cool. Yeah. She didn't, she didn't, she didn't let her ego sort of run away with the day and, and have her get into some altercation or something like that. Yeah. For lack of putting this a better way, I think that's the mark of, of an evolved person, um, to just be like, you know what, this is not a match and I'm not going to get caught up in your drama. So, um, see you later. Yeah. Certainly an emotionally mature person. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Katie, thank you again so much. Really, really great question. Um, and thank you for uh, sharing it with us and asking what we thought. So that said, we talked about that for longer than I thought we would. Maybe we should um, take this really great voicemail, uh, but just kind of shelve it till next uh, episode. What do you think? Okay, sounds good. Yeah, okay. uh, it's uh, it's from a listener named Matt. So Matt, just know that your voicemail will be answered in an uh, upcoming episode. Awesome. All right. Well, then let's jump into part two of uh, my chat with David Kagan. Uh, this is about as as kind of acting technique-ish as we probably will ever get on the show because that's such a deep rabbit hole and I feel like it's an ex- a thing that needs to be experienced rather than just talked about. But um, everything that David says is like right in line with, with what AJ and I have been learning and experiencing and practicing these past two years. So uh, I was really excited to have the chance to sit down with David. So in that context, enjoy part two uh, of our chat and we'll catch you on the other side. We keep a lot of secrets in life. Yeah. And that's okay. You don't reveal everything to everybody. And that's healthy. Every once in a while in life, you make a decision. You make a choice to reveal a secret about yourself. We keep a lot of secrets, but you make a choice to reveal a secret about yourself because you feel it's in your own best interest. So you feel that it's going to be good for the relationship, especially an intimate relationship. Um, but in other circumstances, you feel it's good for the relationship. It's good for you. It, it's a it's a it's a healthy risk to take, and you decide to take that risk. Right after you take that risk, you go, "Oh shit! Uh oh! I hope that wasn't a mistake." The, the the bigger the risk, the more you feel that. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have told her that. We get back maybe. to the validation thing. You yeah, bet. Acceptance and thing. or rejection, right? Yeah. So we say, well, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe they'll use that against me. Maybe they'll, you know, think I'm stupid. Maybe they'll abandon me or reject me, whatever. And you feel a little bit like you betrayed yourself when you tell a secret about yourself. Hmm. Acting is self-betrayal all the time. As often as possible, you don't have to believe me. You know that. You may have never articulated it for yourself. But when you go to see a fine performance, they blow your mind. They bake your noodle. They do something you didn't expect. It's off the radar screen. And there's something about it, that you, something where it's like, oh, my God. You just never expected that. Like you never expected me to say they burst out laughing because they were glad it wasn't them. Yeah. Now, the next step is, is okay, now you're in the audition. You're in the audition. That's what everybody cares about. How do I get the job? Everybody's auditioning. Everybody's practicing for the audition. It's deadly. It's not. It's a mistake. There are no such thing as audition classes. It's all crap. It's a big lie. I know I'm going to offend some people saying this. No, I'm bring it on because I think we're on this. At least you and I are on the same page. Well, the reason it's a lie is because when you that you you can learn things about auditioning, but it's not about that there are rules. 
There are tools, but there are no rules. And when you're doing things really well, you don't even open the toolbox. It's pure instinct with a tremendous amount of practice behind it and a tremendous amount of guidance behind it. So um, there you are. You're in the audition. It's going on right now. We're sitting here Wednesday afternoon. There's people auditioning right now, people in front of the camera, people in front of producers, right? This producer session's going on maybe this early in the afternoon. And there's somebody right now, somebody in front of the camera on a set and somebody in an audition room, and suddenly they're having an impulse, an instinct that is totally, they, they, they don't know where it came from. They, they don't know, it's illogical, how's it fit, whatever. And they're going, should I do it, shouldn't I do it, should I do it, shouldn't I do it? Mm-hmm. And by that time, it's too late. That's where the courage comes in. Right. And the practice and the guidance. You know, I film everything in my classes because it makes my life easier. Because if people do watch their work, which a lot of people won't do, and they won't tell me that, they won't watch their work, or they're watching to see, are they cool, do they look cute, or whatever, all the wrong things. But if they learn to watch their work in the way that I hope they will learn to watch it, they'll start to see very clearly. They don't have to believe me anymore. They'll see it very clearly when they're covering up, hiding, not being mm. brave, not yeah. being true to themselves. Yeah. And, and you need that, that practice to see it over and over again so you say to yourself, okay, I have a choice. You do have a choice. I can go, I can look at this piece of material, and I can do what I think they want. I can play that game, and it might work out for me sometimes. Or I can do this other thing that I've, we've been, I've been talking about for the last 15 minutes. And um, that's a choice. And then I, and you, you pay your money, it you takes your choice. You pay, you know, that's right. Yeah. You get the results. Uh, the exciting thing for me is to be, is to be an adult. This, to me, this is also all, all about being an adult. That adults, they learn how to work with and cooperate with other human beings. It's not about being a rebel. Simultaneously, they learn, they cultivate their unique vision of life, of what life's about, of what's important to them, of, of, how, of, of how to play a certain moment, of, of a book to write, of whatever it is, their unique vision. And those are the people we go to the movies or the theater to see. There's a list, and it's not a big list. But we know we're not going to, we know, I just saw Anthony Hopkins in Noah. The movie, eh, Anthony Hopkins, del- wonderful, delicious. There's never a time that I've seen him when I haven't been wonderfully surprised, intrigued, drawn into the moment, the present moment. Yeah. There's never a time when I've seen Sean Penn and I haven't been interested. There's never a time I haven't seen Robert Duvall and I haven't been absolutely intrigued and pulled into the moment. There are certain actors that you just... You know, they're just right there with them, watching them. And, and, they're, and they've, they've learned to be brave and to stay in that zone, and they do it so well that they make it look easy. And this is, what, this is like what draws like bees to honey to Hollywood, right? <laughs> like moths to a flame. I can do that. That's right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. And that's a great attitude to have. You need to have that attitude, but then you better back it up. You better up. back it up with, and with you, the work. And the, the window of opportunity, the easiest time to be successful in the business, it's not the only time, but is, is when you're young. And so what I see typically, and it breaks my heart, I don't need to do this anymore. I don't need to teach anymore. I don't need to do any of it anymore. I don't need to do it. I want to do it because I love it, and I want to I wanna contribute this. I'd, I'd like to help some people. I'd like to help them taste what I'm talking about. The people who I've been able to help taste it really thank me for it and re- feel enriched in a total way, not just as actors. But I have seen so many people come and go. While I've been here, while I've been doing this for 40 years. And I've seen so many people get a few nibbles and their egos. And believe me, I had the ego too. 
I got an ego, and I had an ego, especially when I was their age. I, I'm just I, the reason I understand is because I've been there, done that. I, I'm, I'm not on a mountaintop. Right. I'm just like you. I'm just like you know, just older, more experienced. Okay, maybe further down the road, but but I'm just as human as everybody else out there. But I've seen them. They get a little nibble. They're cute or something, and and then they they piss it away. You know, they mess it up. Because their egos get in the way, they get they get you know yeah. inflated, big heads, and they have nothing to back it up. And the deal of you know is always about um, where readiness and luck intersect. Or readiness and uh, or luck is when preparedness and the right circumstances. Yeah, or something. right, yeah, right. When those two things happen at the same yeah. time, but 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 you got you be ready. And there's I, I defy you. Look at the vast majority of people who are been really successful at whatever they do and I'm not just talking about acting and you look behind the surface you'll see they did the work they loved it it wasn't drudgery some of it is drudgery but they but but enough of it was they were into it they were excited they were thrilled and and so great that you're thrilled and great that you think that you got something special to offer and great that you think you can do that i remember my, my old friend who's been very successful ted danson and i uh, hope you won't mind me saying this you know he i remember he went to a class a professional class and uh, this is long before he got cheers he was 34 when he got cheers he was he was 34 and that's that's the age where most people who move out in their twenties, I mean, they're they're long gone by now. Well, point. what about John Hamm? Ten years, uh, yeah. Mad Men, right? Mark there's, Ruffalo too. Ten years yeah, doing right. ninety nine C theater. Right. That's right. Yeah. So you know, there's a, there's a lot more stories like that. Yeah. And uh, and so Ted, you know, he was, he was watching his professional class, and he said, "I watch these people, and I said, I can do that. I can do that." Except Ted had already gotten a degree from Carnegie Mellon University. He'd gone to Stanford first, went to Carnegie Mellon. And then after Carnegie Mellon, he did something that's real unusual for people. He's a good-looking guy and a very charming guy. Ted is somebody who people just like. They want to be around him. They like him. They want to, I think they want to hire him. That kind of guy from the get-go. Yeah. What he did was is he studied Meisner for two years. He studied Meisner in a base in New York City. I was living in New York then too, in a basement. Ugly, an ugly studio, ugly, repulsive basement. <laughs> and he did it for two years. I remember during, in the process of doing one of the exercises, he cut his head. He has a scar from it. I mean, this guy was committed. Then he actually, when he was out here, and he'd already then gotten cheers, and he did, he had me coach him on. on five movies wow and not because I was his buddy he saw the work that I did and it was like okay maybe we'll do one that way but then he appreciated you know anyway so that worked out um, yeah why does yeah. somebody like that hire me why does Alec Baldwin hire me Alec was doing a nighttime soap when I met him he was already having success what the hell is he coming to me for yeah well I think that's a that's a hallmark of successful people is that they they understand that they're never done, I think, and and they're they don't also, want to be done. They love it. It's the it's, yeah, they, it's deep. It's not like learning how to operate a Xerox machine or drive a. There's nothing wrong with that, or nothing wrong with driving a bus up and down, you know, Wilshire Boulevard. But it ain't that. Yeah, what I've heard over and over is that act, successful actors, people like Kate Winslet, who have done very well for themselves, you know, they finish one movie and that they're back to that place of like. You know, I know how to play that role now, but the next role that comes along, is that going to be my last movie? Like, I, who's going to hire me again? Well, I, I don't I, know. I had the wonderful experience of working with Damian Lewis on Life. I recurred on that show. And uh, and I was I was in a great place when I did that. And when the first, I did the pilot uh, to start with. And uh, I was feeling really brave. I was determined. Just determined. And... Uh, he came up to me after we did this, you know, did one of the angles of the scene. He went, you know, thumbs up. He was like, and then he came over to me later and he said, I, I hear you're one of the top acting coaches in L.A. And he was talking to me about, well, you know, I'm, I, if this show goes and, what, you know, and that's the mentality. This guy did Shakespeare. He's went to 
studied acting. He very, you know, I had seen him in the Foresight Saga, which was a brutal character he had to play. Brutal. I talked to him about it. I said, that must have been hard. You know, somebody who's really on the rack. Uh-huh. And um, But here's somebody who's got the series regular. And of course, now he's in Homeland and, you know, and he's a good looking guy too, but he doesn't rely on that. Yeah. Speaking of Spielberg, he was in um, Band of Brothers, wasn't he? Damien Lewis? I think he, I played, don't know. he was one of the lead characters. It, it sounds, sounds, sounds so. I, I didn't yeah. see it. Um, speaking of Spielberg, what I, when you talked about that story a while ago about um, about the soldiers laughing, um, and you asked, you know, if it was you and this was your big break and you're on set and it's your first take and Spielberg's right there, like, what do you do? And I was thinking to myself, I had a moment where I was like, well, I definitely want to do, I wouldn't want to waste people's time and I'd want to do what's quote unquote appropriate. But then I remembered a story I heard about Steven Spielberg, and I hope we're all lucky enough to work with directors like this someday. This was told by Ed Burns, who was in Saving Private Ryan. It was one of his first like big, big movies, and he was really astounded when Steven Spielberg came up to him before they even shot the first scene, and he said, so here's the deal. We're going to do this three times, and I'm going to keep the camera rolling through all three takes. Mm-hmm. The first time, I want you to do it the way that we've rehearsed or the way that that we've talked about, the way that I essentially want it to be done. Keep rolling. The second time, I want you to do it your way. Do it however you want to do it. And the third time, go over the top. Be be 110%, be larger than life, go to town, whatever you feel comes to you. And he said when he sat down and watched the film, about 80% of the takes that Steven Spielberg used the over were the, the, top were the third takes. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is typical. I mean, those, those directions are wonderful and don't surprise me at all Hmm. Uh, and uh, so much of my job as a teacher is to have people give themselves permission to be true to themselves and that's all it is isn't it it's just permission yeah it's permission but that's an easy thing to talk about but not an easy thing to set to to do yeah um (laughs) I'm thinking of a story, but it has nothing to do with acting. But, you know, about where I did that and how, you know, I ended up marrying that person. Oh, now you got to tell it. <laughs> well, my wife, my, my then not wife was, uh, you know, it was something that she wasn't happy about, about something that I was doing or being or, you know, on a recurring basis. And in the past, you know, I might have said in, in younger times I might have said oh honey uh, you know I'll fix that I'll change that I'll whatever you know but not this time and not and I said you know I said I really hear what you're saying and I and I know it's true I, I get it I see that and um, and I don't want you to go away I care about you I don't want you to go away and uh, I don't know if that will ever change about me I'd never done that before in my life. That was absolutely the truth for me. Not it wasn't I wasn't throwing down the gauntlet. I wasn't it wasn't a power play. That has no place in a relationship. Power plays are baloney. It wasn't that at all. It was the truth. And you know, that was the only way otherwise, uh, you know, we wouldn't have the magnificent relationship we have which is incredibly precious to me and and that is that is how, how our relationship functions hmm. um and so i said it's about growing up and and what does that mean you know when we get out of college or when we hit 18 19 20 21 22 we say okay now i'm an adult right now must be supposedly an adult. Yeah. supposedly right okay. but uh but what you find out is, is okay, uh, I now am in charge of my life, uh, probably. Uh, I don't know, in these times, people are living at home, whatever, economic necessity, fine, 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 no, no judgment on it. But, but we have this idea that we're an adult, and, and, and a lot of the idea of being an adult is, means, means to say, if you ask somebody, how are how you doing? And they're 21, 20 to say, 22, they say, I'm fine. And if I'm not fine, whatever it is that I have a problem with, I'll figure it out. 
I got it wired. I've already figured it out. And what adults do is they have some support system in their lives where they talk things out with other people. And they say, have you ever been in a situation like this? What do you do? What did you learn? What did you mm-hmm. learn? Or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm struggling. With this. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. Adults reach out to one another with an open mind and a level of humility. And life's a heck of a lot more enjoyable and satisfying and interesting. And you, you don't, you stop having to pretend that you have all the answers or that you're Superman or any of that stuff. And one of the videos that I have on my Twitter page is Dustin Hoffman talking about failure. And, and it, again, it's on YouTube. And, you know, he says failure. He says, the, 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 what does he say? Oh, I can't remember all the words. But basically, you know, he, he says, you, you got you know, you, you to gotta stick your neck out. You got to stick your neck out, not not for the, its own sake. It isn't like proving, "Hey, watch me stick my neck out," but it's about you got to follow your inspiration and follow your instincts and 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 um, and it's 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 thrilling and scary at the same time, hmm. and uh, and it's a great joy. And you watch Matthew McConaughey who's been around for quite a while. And I felt, I don't know this, but when he got the Oscar and he uh, for Dallas Buyers Club, and he seemed to be talking about God, his, his belief in God. And it seemed that that meant so much, this whole thing meant so much to him because somehow he had turned a corner. That's what it looked like to me, where he said, and here's a guy, plenty of money. Mm-hmm. Plenty of success. Good looking. Didn't need to do any of that. But he did. Yeah. And he sound, looked like to me that he turned a corner where he said, you know what? I got to be my own man here. I got to be my own person. I got to do my own vision. And uh, and then having that acknowledgement, which is all about career. Oscars are where publicity. That was the Oscars were thought of by, by a publicist. Yeah, they yeah. did nothing about really about who's the best actor. When that's yeah. all silly. Yeah, uh, it's all silly. But but and I know again this heresy that I'm saying this, and you know, so I'll never get an Oscar. Uh, you know, but but you, I felt that uh, when I saw that, and I I could I really related to that, and I think that that same triumph you see it in from time to time in other professions as well. I read an interview with McConaughey, uh, and he, it was really interesting because he talked about exactly what you just mentioned, coming to a point in his life where he said... I didn't know that. That's yeah, great. He said, I could keep doing... Um, I can't remember the name of the film, but he, there was a film he referenced with um, Kate... Um, oh, I forget her name. Like, really cute blonde girl and mm-hmm. something about them being lost on a boat or something. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I could keep doing movies like that, romantic comedies, and I'll make a nice payday. And he's like, but that's just not satisfying to me anymore. And I'm not growing as a person. And he's like, and so something like Dallas Buyers Club, there was really no guarantee that that was going to make any money at all. Oh, going to be no. seen by anybody. Right, right. And he just said, but you know what? Dark horse, that, total dark that's horse. That's where right? I got to go. And I think, and I'm glad that you told this, the, the other story about, you know, with your wife and, and whatnot. Cause it, I think it's something that nobody talks about enough. And that's the inner personal work well, this that we've got to do to be effect, effective artists. I keep trying to do whatever I can do to urge people on, to encourage people to, to, to do this. It's a lot safer, feels a lot safer and more comfortable. But there's a certain point when you say to yourself, whose life am I living? Hello, welcome back from part two of Trevor's interview with David Kagan, actor and acting teacher. We're giving uh, we're giving Trevor, Trevor's virtual voice a rest right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, da- you know David's he's such a nice guy and so generous uh, with his knowledge. And um, you know, after we finished recording, not this section but the next section, part three, which you guys will hear next week, he sa- he even said like, "Oh, there's so much business stuff that I wanted to touch on that I think would be really valuable to actors." And you know, what's so great is that he wasn't trying to. I, I didn't get the sense that he was trying to like 
you know, get people to sign up for his class or anything like that. He said he's doing just fine. He just wants to get good, supportive information out to the community. And uh, the fact that we spoke for an hour and a half and he still felt like there was more that he could contribute to to what uh, what actors out there could be doing to really level up is, uh, I think, a testament to the kind of guy he is. So, so again, grateful to be uh, having the chance to sit down with people like that. Yeah, so what's your pick of the week, dude? So, my pick of the week is a bit... I don't know if I would call it dated. I mean, it's been 10 years, which is crazy to think. And uh, I don't know who missed this, but it is a, a TV show, a TV series that was on Showtime or HBO? HBO when it first when it first aired. It was it was one of those shows that sort of started this craze on or or it landed right in the beginning of this 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 really good TV series being on these premium networks like Showtime and yeah. HBO and stuff. Yeah. Um called Carnival. And I remember when this show first came on and I really wanted to see it, but we didn't have the premium channels. And I remember seeing like the, 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 the sort of trailers for it and that kind of thing and being like, wow, that looks really interesting. Anyway, I just started watching it. Uh, Jasmine, Jasmine has the uh, PAL PAL DVDs from Australia and we managed, we managed, we managed to get them working on my, on my, on my computer. But, uh, it's on, let's see, Amazon instance. You can download it on Amazon instant. It's only $15 for the entire season and there's only two seasons or you can buy the DVDs if you want to have them in your collection, so to speak. The thing that I've been most struck by is the storytelling meaning the unique way in which they tell the story. There's all this crazy imagery, and they really take advantage of the, f- of the medium of film, the fact that you're watching things, and the, therefore the dialogue is not just sparse, but when it comes, it's poetic and really rich. And this guy uh, th- that created it, Daniel Nauf, I, get, Nauf? I, I don't know how to say his, his, his name. He must be a, 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 a genius, just the way that he has sort of woven this story together. And it's a real shame that, that it only had two seasons because it's one of those stories. He actually has said that he had nine seasons worth of content. Oh, my God nine seasons so essentially it got cut off seven seasons too short and 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 props to his artistic integrity because actually hbo went to him uh, when the when there was a huge fan backlash after it was canceled hbo went to him and was like all right let's do a let's do a, a mini series we'll do like a you know two episode mini series or something like that and give you a chance to wrap it up and he turned them down really he turned them down. He was like, "Nope, I can't do it. I can't do it in, in in that short of time. So I just don't want to do it at all." That's a man of integrity, right there. So it, it, it probably I haven't gotten to the end of the second season yet, but my guess is it just ends on this crazy cliffhanger, and <laughs> then that's it. And we're all screwed. And we're yeah. screwed. And you're gonna cry and hate me then, but you'll love me between now and then. Right. Uh, it, it, <laughs> I'm hoping somebody. I'm sure someone out there has written like fan fiction or something like that. But it, it would be really amazing to see something like this get picked. You know, wouldn't it be awesome if like one of your favorite shows, like Dead, like Deadwood or Carnival or something like that, just all of a sudden came back and they just decided to finish it out? Oh my god, like, that'd be yeah. that'd be so cool. Yeah, that'd be so cool. Like it's so rare, especially in this day and age when everyone's so risk averse. Like the last time I remember a show coming back because of dvd sales was family guy mm-hmm. yeah this was canceled which was canceled like twice by fox and the dvd sales just kept going and going and going and going and they were like all right we'll bring it back and now here we are you know what 10 11 12 seasons later and they're about to do a, a crossover the first ever crossover episode with the simpsons are they really yep hour-long special it's coming up awesome google that shit yeah and there's um <laughs> and there's uh let me think arrested development which kind of got canceled or done with and then netflix picked it up and now it's good example yeah, yeah I mean, that's example. the terrain is changing so quickly it's so cool to see how things are evolving 
and how and how much easier it is to just get content out there you know like it's it's less and less about um you know like having these huge mega budgets and these huge studios producing your shit it's more just like now it's like are there a thousand people that would watch it cool let's do it <laughs> you know fair deuce yeah fair de- well i know i know a lot of the execs at hbo and showtime and netflix listen to this podcast so <laughs> i just want to say to them hey man what's your pick of the week my let's friend source it let's source it yes um, my pick of the week is uh, a, a website. It's a personal finance website, and I don't know if anybody in this podcast is really into this stuff. But there's like a a lot of personal finance bloggers out there on the internet, and I've talked about this stuff before. I think a while ago, one of my picks was um, "Total Money Makeover" by Dave Ramsey, and then I think I might have picked the book uh, "Your Money or Your Life" and the other book uh, "I Will Teach You to Be Rich." But there's a lot of like bloggers out there who just blog about digging themselves out of debt and building up their emergency funds and investing, you know, smartly and retiring early and things like that. And, um, I just recently had a thought to just go see what kind of some of my old favorite personal finance bloggers were up to. And I found that most of them actually had, have since sold off their blogs or the blog, the blogs have, have been bought for a really nice amount of money, but, but they're not the same. You know, the, the, the people that used to run it, the kind of homegrown kind of quality is, is gone now. It's very kind of like promotional type content. But I found this one blog that was started a few years ago. It's called Mr. Money Mustache. And uh, my favorite thing about it is how, I guess, like badass the guy is. It's, it's written by a guy in Colorado, uh, and I guess his wife as well contributes a lot. And they've got two kids, and this guy retired at 30 years old. And he did it by spending, the, like he didn't have, you know, a really high income job or anything. He just did it by spending less than he earned. And uh, he's got really kind of opinionated of advice, but he, he writes in such a way that it's really fun. And he makes it like really kind of cool to, to just be really frugal. And he says stuff like, like, I can't think of a good example, but he says stuff like, like, oh, if you're doing such and such, then uh, I invite you to come over to my house so I can punch you in the face and you can stop wasting money. So do this instead. And it's just really great, solid personal finance advice that anybody can use to turn their finances around. And it's all free. And I really hope that this blog doesn't get bought or sold off or anything like that. I hope it stays kind of homegrown the way it is because I've just been, in, been spending an embarrassing amount of time just reading through all the posts. There's like hundreds and hundreds of posts. And I just started at the beginning and I started reading through them. I feel really invigorated around my finances right now. And, uh, I know exactly what I'm doing and exactly like I've set some goals with some weekly milestones around my finances. And, and I'm just kind of using this blog as kind of a, a template and the other books that I've read on the topic. But this blog feels very, it's really energizing. So I recommend anybody who's interested at all in the subject of personal finance to go check out Mr. Money Mustache. The link on our page links to um, a blog post, which is called, I'm pulling it up right now, Getting Rich from Zero to Hero in One Blog Post. And it's kind of like his his um, his main post to sum up everything on the site, basically. And uh, it's just, it'll give you a good example of how, of, of his style and what he's about. And he links to a lot of his other articles. But you could spend a lot of time here and learn a lot. So, Mr. Money Mustache, highly, highly recommend. <laughs> and uh, he also wins the award for best website name. Yeah. Possibly ever. Yeah, and that's part of it. Like, he talks about, like, growing your money mustache. And, like, if you've only got, like, a little bit of stubble, you're just starting out. But he's got, like, a full-fledged money mustache because he's retired at age 30. Um, so, it's really fun the way he, the way he talks about stuff. <laughs> the uh the i just i just saw the tag the tagline on the on the website is financial freedom through badassity yeah exactly <laughs> exactly but it's cool because you know what like I, i've i've long sensed that something that's really important to me uh just from a values perspective but also from a, a numbers perspective is just being frugal. And I think for a while I kind of was in my head about it and I thought, well, you know, if I want that shiny new toy or if I want this thing or that thing, I should just be able to go out and pay for it. And I shouldn't, shouldn't have to worry about, you know, the long, the long term, so to speak, because I'm, you know, I'll make more money or I'll figure it out or I'll source something, so to speak. Um, but what I'm realizing through this blog is that for me, it's really important to, to, to tread lightly on the earth and, 
conduct myself in ways that that are in line with those values. And I think the finance thing plays directly into that. And that spending less than you earn and just aggressively paying down your debt and aggressively saving and investing is like the only way to make true wealth happen for yourself. I mean, yes, I can Mm -hmm. focus on increasing my income and things like that. But like, what can I do right here, right now? It's like Mm -hmm. I can make a concerted effort to kind of build my discipline muscle and, you know, not eat at Subway three times a week. Even though it's only five bucks a, a pop, you know, it's it, it adds up. And so it's just little things like that. And I feel like actually kind of dorky saying that, but <laughs> but it's, I think that stuff's important, you know. That was a lot of awesome. me talking. <laughs> that was great. Cool, man. All right. So, yeah, we also have a listener pick of the week. Uh, this comes from uh, Eric Eberly. Am I saying his last name correctly? I hope. Um, and he um, has a book that's called Daring Greatly. It's by Brene Brown. And I believe we've talked about her TED Talk on the podcast Yes, recently. we have. She's got a great talk on, um, what is it, The Power of Vulnerability, I think. Mm-hmm. And yep. she's written a book called Daring Greatly. And Eric just says it's like it's a real game changer. So we've got a link to that on our website. I haven't checked out the book yet, but I am looking forward to it. Checking it out from the library, because why would I buy it if I can get it for free at the library? Just saying, I'm growing my money mustache. Yeah, um, money mustache. <laughs> so um, thanks for the for the pick, Eric. Really looking forward to that. We also want to quickly give a shout out to, hmm, how do you say this name? Our new patron. Uh, I have no idea. Okay. I, 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 when I saw it on there, I was like, man, I hope... It- Trevor knows. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Indaya. And Indi- oh yeah, I wouldn't have said that. Okay, cool. Let's try. It. Let's go with that. Indaya So Sao maybe Sao. Indaya Sao. Um, so sorry if we're not pronouncing that right, but thank you so much for jumping on board to support us on a recurring monthly basis as a patron. And uh, also our patron of the week. On that note is uh, a guy named tim waterman who i've I've had the pleasure of having lunch with uh once and also going out for tea with once just to kind of connect and talk about various things around the the industry he's reached out and and said hey i'm in town and would love to just kind of connect and and say hi and so really nice guy um really excited and passionate about uh you know the work that we do and he's hitting the ground running here in la and so i wanted to make sure that we gave him a, a nod as our newest one of our newest supporters Okay. I think I hear the kitty for the first time. Yeah, we got two cats. That's Regina. Her life is really hard. And she, <laughs> she lets us know how difficult life is. And that's what she's doing outside my door right now. I can see her paws underneath the door. <laughs> uh, cool, man. So that's about it then for episode 142, yeah? I believe so, my friend. I believe so. It's a good one. Nice and uh, compact, action-packed. Action-packed. Yeah, yeah. So lots of different ways for anybody listening to this to interact with the podcast, get in touch, let us know what you think, what's working, what's not, so on and so forth. Start at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com, where you can leave a comment on any of the episodes. You can shoot us an email um, at InsideActingPodcast at gmail.com, or you can even call us and leave us a voicemail like Matt did uh, that we will play on the next episode. Uh, two one three two actors two one three two 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 eight six seven seven. Social media. We're all over the medias, the medias of show of social. Yeah, the uh, Facebooks, Twitters, the my Twitters, and the Face Spaces, and all that stuff. Face Spaces, <laughs> and we're on iTunes. You, you Twit Face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the visual that comes along with that. Uh, iTunes. We're on iTunes, and uh, we would really appreciate uh, a five-star review if you dig what we're doing. Um, that that goes a long way. Your, your reviews um, help new people discover the podcast and see that hopefully it's something worth uh, sinking an hour of their week into. So um, if you find yourself unwilling or otherwise unable to support us in any of the other myriad ways, just a quick uh, rating on iTunes would be really, really great. And if you don't think we deserve five stars, it'd be fantastic if you could let us know why before you rate us. Give us a chance to fix whatever it is and then give us a rating after after that. Um, of course, it's not required, but it would be nice. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, those ratings go a long way and we always appreciate a review as well. So... Feel free to head over to iTunes and, and do that. And then um, last but not least, you can uh, donate to the podcast uh, in a monetary financial way. This podcast is not free to produce. 
uh, takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money, and uh, every penny that we get from our listeners goes directly back into producing the podcast and making it better. And as you guys may have uh, may remember from uh, the dispatch email that I wrote uh, a week or two ago, we're making a lot of changes around here and we're building things up and um, none of it's free. You know, we've got some really great people we're working with, but it's really important to us that we compensate them for their time. And um, I, I, I kind of feel like just paying for it ourselves out of our own pockets isn't the best win-win situation. So um, we've had a slew of new listeners jump on as patrons, which is fantastic. Thank you so much for making this happen. Um, but if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're on the fence, um, go ahead and take the plunge. You can do a one-time donation of just a couple cents to a couple dollars to more if you'd like. Or you can sign up to become a patron uh, and support us on a recurring monthly basis, starting for as little as $3 a month. And that makes a, a big wow. difference. <laughs> makes a big difference in our in our journey. So um, give it a shot. Who knows? It might be rewarding for you. Uh, that's about it, then. I think I don't have anything else. Do you? No, sir. Well said. Thank you. So for episode um, 142 of Inside Acting, uh, this is us signing off for Jen Levin, our production coordinator. Cesar Camino, our technical producer, and myself, Trevor Algott. Uh, I, missed, uh, I messed that up, but uh, you are. <laughs> I am AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, grow that mustache. This episode of Inside Acting has been brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines fast? Be off book for auditions? Explore your characters and make stronger choices? There's an app for that. Rehearsal 2. Download it now at rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com slash download.